and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. The opera ghost really existed. He was not, as was long believed, a creature of the imagination of the artists, the superstition of the managers, or the absurd and impressionable brains of the young ladies of the ballet, their mothers, the box keepers, cloakroom attendants, or the concierge. No, he existed in flesh and blood, though he assumes all the outward characteristics of a real phantom, that is to say, of a ghost. Gaston LaRue. Hello, friends. We are nearing the end of our Stagey Spook series for this season. So, we're bringing you another show history episode. Now, is there anything more spooky than a haunted opera house? Well, aside from the ghost actually being a real person who kidnaps and murders people. Well, maybe not more spooky per se, but how about Broadway's longest-running show closing after a 30-plus year run? I don't believe it's actually closing. But if you haven't guessed, we are going down once more to the catacombs underneath the Paris Opera House to tell you the history of one of the world's most beloved musicals, The Phantom of the Opera. Let's go over some quick content warnings for this show for those unfamiliar with its plot. Murder, kidnapping, stalking, emotional abuse, and torture. Based on the 1910 horror novel by Gaston LaRue, The Phantom of the Opera is a thrilling and romantic account of the legendary opera ghost, a musical genius who dwells deep beneath a majestic opera house in Paris. Shunned by society for his facial deformity, he takes a promising young soprano, Christine, under his wing and trains her for operatic fame, all while falling deeply in love with her. As Christine grows ever more successful and a handsome young man from her past begins to successfully court her, the Phantom descends into a jealous rage and terrorizes the opera company with increasingly dangerous threats. Now let's set the scene. Here's a fun fact. In Paris, there are now two opera houses, and if you ask for the Paris Opera House, you might actually get directions to the wrong place. Where you want to be going for your full phantom experience is the Palais Garnier, also known as the Opera Garnier. Located in the 9th arrondissement, the Palais Garnier was built for the Paris Opera by architect Charles Garnier and opened in 1875 at the request of Emperor Napoleon III. The 1,979-seat theatre became home of the Paris Opera and the Paris Opera Ballet until the Opera Bastille opened at Place de la Bastille in 1989. The Palais Garnier is currently celebrating its 350th birthday and has been a historic monument in France since 1923. The Opera House still presents operas and ballets and is home to the Bibliothèque Musée de l'Opéra de Paris. The Paris Opera Library Museum is operated by the Music Department of the National Library of France and showcases the history of the Paris Opera, as well as housing their archives in a research library. You can visit the Palais Garnier to this day with guided and self-guided tours, and if you can't make it to Paris, they actually have a full virtual tour on their website. Of course, the Palais Garnier has been iconic for centuries for its beautiful architecture, presented performances, and of course, its overall opulence. But since 1910, it has become a global sensation for a very different reason. A book named The Phantom of the Opera by a man named Gaston Leroux. Monsieur Leroux. <laughs> that went French. Monsieur, Monsieur Leroux. Leroux. <laughs> Monsieur LaRue was a reporter at a newspaper in the early 1900s, L'Echo de Paris, and eventually became a writer of fiction. 
Inspired by Edgar Allan Poe and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, his early works drew from the genres of horror and mystery. His best-known story, Le Phantom de l'Opéra. You like that? Yeah. You like that? Yeah. So sexy. Thank you. Say it again. <laughs> L'Opéra. <laughs> was originally published as a serial in a newspaper from September 1909 to January 1910, before being released as a novel in March 1910. The Phantom's Opera House was in fact the Palais Garnier, and was partially inspired by rumors and real events surrounding the building. Spooky. For example, after the first act of an opera, a fire in the roof of the opera house melted through the wires holding up the chandelier, resulting in a horrible crash. Sound familiar? There is also a cistern, which is an underground reservoir for rainwater underneath the opera house. And in the 19th century, there were rumors about the venue being haunted. As most of you probably know, all these elements made it into the book in one way or another. Now, you might be asking yourself, how did a novel from the early 1900s become the basis for a musical, which then became a global phenomenon? Well, Phantom actually inspired a few adaptations before its journey to Broadway. The first being a German silent film from 1916, which is now Lost. A second silent film based on the novel was presented by Universal in 1925. And in 1943, Universal released the first Technicolor film adaptation of the classic story, which won Oscars for art direction and cinematography. Now those are just a few notable adaptations of Gaston Leroux's novel, but we all know you're here for Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical adaptation, the West End and Broadway blockbuster, The Phantom of the Opera. So let's get into it. One could say the idea behind The Phantom of the Opera was Lloyd Webber's sort of audition for Sarah Brightman's love and career, and you would be somewhat correct. They met during Brightman's audition for Cats in the early 1980s. At the time, they were both married. Andrew also had two young children with his first wife, and after separating, he would later propose to Miss Brightman on a trip to Italy, and the pair soon married. With his muse by his side, Andrew Lloyd Webber began working on the score that would change his life and send him into legendary status amongst the theater industry everywhere. Fast forward to 1984, Andrew Lloyd Webber reached out to producer Cameron McIntosh, proposing a new musical based on Gaston LaRue's The Phantom of the Opera. At first, the two were unsure how to transition the mysterious horror story to the stage. But after reading the novel, Lloyd Webber found himself drawn to the romance and from there, the show began to take shape. A creative team was quickly assembled, and in addition to Lloyd Webber and Mackintosh, Hal Prince was brought on to direct, with Gillian Lynn to choreograph, and Maria Bjornsson to design sets and costumes. Phantom was always written to be mostly sung through with minimal dialogue, but Andrew Lloyd Webber needed a lyricist, and the show actually went through multiple lyricists on its way to the stage. Rock composer Jim Steinman was actually Lloyd Webber's first choice to write the lyrics, but when he declined, Alan J. Lerner of Camelot and My Fair Lady was brought on board. Lerner later had to withdraw due to health issues, but some of his contributions still remain in the show, mainly in the song Masquerade. Richard Stuloge was the next lyricist and wrote most of the show's original lyrics. Now, I wonder why Jim Steinman declined because... Oh, it's because he was working with Bonnie Tyler on her album at that time. He was oh. committed to her project. Very interesting. I feel like Phantom would have been the bigger thing for him, but then I guess he's also probably most known for Total Eclipse of the Heart. So... Yeah. Oh, kind of worked Total out. Eclipse of the Heart, Faster Than the Speed of Night... 
That mm. album that Jim and Bonnie did is iconic. It's yeah. iconic. Like Absolutely. I get why he would say no to a musical that might not work when he had yeah. rock hits in the bag. Just seems so like up his alley, right? Yeah. I could and totally see unf- him doing this. And unfortunately, speaking of the more detailed things as to why these lyricists uh, didn't go, uh, mm. it was due to um, health issues that Alan J. Lerner did um, remove himself from the oh. production. And unfortunately, he did die shortly after. Oh, that's a shame. Um, yeah. And well, you'll find out in a minute that Richard Stuloge actually isn't even the last lyricist to write on Phantom, but we'll get there. You're right. <laughs> well, an act one preview of the Phantom of the Opera took to stage in 1985 at Andrew Lloyd Webber's Country House in Sidmonton. It starred Colm Wilkinson as Phantom, Sarah Brightman as Christine, who was named Kristen at the time, and Clive Carter as Rao. Richard Stuloge's original lyrics were used, which were later changed by lyricist Charles Hart. What Has Time Done to Me became Think of Me, and Papers became Notes, to name a few. The show ended with a song Andrew added called Married Man, which would later be changed to the iconic The Music of the Night. Notably, one of the biggest changes from this preview production led to the iconic half-mask and the unmasking scene. The original mask covered the entire face, which of course was troubling, as it limited the actor's vision and muffled the voice. So Maria Bjornsson came up with something new. Friends and colleagues provided their feedback, and one thing was clear. The show was far too jokey, as they put it. Basically, they were saying, you know, it's campy as fuck. So let's change shit. (laughs) Members of the production team traveled to Paris in 1985 to gather details of the Paris Opera House and Palais Garnier for the set design. Meanwhile, Cameron McIntosh traveled to New York City after a mutual conversation with Lloyd Webber that they were having second thoughts about Hal Prince and wanted to go in a different direction with Cats director Trevor Nunn. Prince, of course, felt betrayed. After all, he had spent the entire summer of 85 traveling to Paris to gather details for the production. He handed his production papers to his secretary, saying, Keep these. They'll be back in four weeks. And surprise, they were back after Les Miserables, directed by Nunn, opened to poor reviews. With the production team back on track, Lloyd Webber came up with a brilliant idea to test a song from the show as a pop track and release it to gather interest. But who would be their phantom? None other than Steve Harley from Caught Me Rebel. Okay, So now would be a fabulous time to tell you all that I got into Phantom by watching the pop music videos they produced with Sarah Brightman and Steve Harley. Joss, did you ever watch those? Because I feel like I assume you have, but I also feel like nowadays it's either something you saw back in the day on YouTube and not like within the recent years. Like you probably... You probably wouldn't go looking for it if you didn't already know about it. You know, I have gone on many a phantom rabbit hole on YouTube, so I can really neither confirm nor deny whether or not I've seen that. I I have no clue. Okay, pause, because she needs to watch this before we continue. Okay, we're back. How do you feel? I don't know how to feel. I mean... I love that electric guitar and that song. It's so yeah, good. Yeah. Um, but what's really wild to me is the music video. So much of like the shots and like the set, it's literally <laughs> the 2004 movie. Yeah. It's literally the 2004 movie, which yeah. we'll get into in a minute. But I, I mean, I liked it, but like that was, that was wild. The mask <laughs> with all the silver was a bold choice. Yeah. With the fake hair. Um, And it covered the entire face, right? So that's sort of like what we were talking about just a moment ago. 
that they had the mask that covered the entire face rather than the half mask. Yeah, and even even the one in that video, I think it was that, that one is actually even like cut more than the original was one was because I think the first one was a full face mask because like you couldn't hear what he was saying the phantom was saying his spoken words you couldn't understand because he was so muffled Hmm. but anyway the phantom got a great mask upgrade so I'm happy for that but it was really funny how much of it looks like the 2004 movie which like I said we'll get to but we're gonna stick in the 80s for another hot minute Chrissy Now it was nearing the opening of Phantom in London, and they still hadn't done much press in terms of, you know, posters and telling the press of the cast announcements. Why is that? Why is that, you ask? Because those posters had Steve Harley's name on them, and they were beginning to have second thoughts about their choice of a Phantom after offering him the role. The producers decided they needed someone with a large stage presence. Their solution? Michael Crawford, who was already a big name on television. After finalizing the cast, rehearsals went underway with Charles Hart rewriting most of the lyrics. While they had quite a large set, the designers worked on adding dummies to fill empty spots on the masquerade staircase. The set designers struggled with the chandelier, as the authorities were not keen on allowing it to drop over the heads of the audience. It wasn't until the first preview that they took note of how well-managed the set piece was and gave them the go-ahead for the rest of the run. However, this wouldn't be the only trouble the show ran into. Much like Carlotta in the show, Sarah Brightman lost her voice before the first preview, with Hal Prince making the decision that the show would go on with actress Claire Moore in the role of Christine. Now, can you imagine that? Like, Andrew Lloyd Webber really started this project in hopes of making Sarah Brightman his everything, launching her career into, like, massive stardom. And then she isn't even there for the first previews. Listen, the amount of money that went into producing Phantom, you can't you can't push the preview for just Sarah, Sarah no. Brightman. I was reading that for sure. The, I'm not sure about London, but the original Broadway production was $8 million to produce, Jesus. which if you were to produce it today, that amount of money would be about 20 million. Yeah. So, when you've got 20 million dollars on the line, uh you're not going to wait for Sarah Brightman. You're going to put on whoever's ready to go. That's sure. showbiz. <laughs> That showbiz kid. I love Hal Prince. He knew what he was doing. On September 27th, 1986, The Phantom of the Opera made its debut on the West End at Her Majesty's Theatre. There's a brief period in time where cast members and theatergoers believed The Phantom was real, as the set was constantly breaking down, setting the production up for failure. During this time, Crawford began to turn into his character of The Phantom, not being able to cope with all of the mistakes. He would call on members of the team to meet in his dressing room whilst he was filled with anger, being so loud the entire theater could hear him from his dressing room where he'd sit, still in his stage makeup. Two previews were cancelled due to technical issues, however the show still officially opened on October 9th. The creative team of the show still included Andrew Lloyd Webber, Hal Prince, Gillian Lynn, Maria Bjornsson, and Andrew Bridge. Sarah Brightman, of course, reprised her role as Christine, with Michael Crawford in the role of the Phantom, and Steve Barton replaced Clive Carter as Raoul. Phantom continues to run at Her Majesty's Theatre to this day with great success, but has recently made some changes to its original production, which we'll speak about later. Broadway's Majestic Theatre became home to the Phantom of the Opera in January of 1988, with previews beginning on the 6th and the official opening on the 26th. 
The original creative team helmed the Broadway production, and Michael Crawford, Sarah Brightman, and Steve Barton reprised their roles from the West End production. The production received mostly positive reviews after its opening, praising the show's score, story, Crawford's performance, and the costume and set design. The Phantom of the Opera is the longest-running Broadway musical, and the original production is still playing at the Majestic. It was also the first musical in Broadway history to surpass 10,000 performances on February 11th, 2012. On September 20th, 1989, Phantom opened in Toronto, Ontario, Canada at the Pantages Theatre, which has since been renamed as the CAA Ed Mervish Theatre. The production starring Colm Wilkinson as the Phantom, Rebecca Kane as Christine, and Brian Neese as Raoul ran until Halloween 1999 and to this day is the longest running musical in Toronto, having played 4,226 performances in its 10-year run. Seen by over 7 million people, it grossed over $450 million, revitalizing the Canadian theatre scene. When the show closed, Paul Stanley of Kiss was starring as The Phantom, Melissa Dye as Christine, and Laird McIntosh as Rel. The final performance was followed by an auction including autographs, merchandise, and show props with proceeds benefiting the Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation, the Canadian Actors' Equity Association, and the Actors' Fund of Canada's Equity Fights AIDS campaign. Now, we could do an entire separate episode of Phantom's time in Toronto um, and how it... I thought you were going to say Paul Stanley. I was like, yes, we could. Well, we could on Paul Stanley, but on Phantom's run in Toronto, there's so much out there and it did so much Mm. to shape the theater scene in Toronto in the 80s. It really revitalized it financially and had this big booming hit and no show has ran for 10 years here. That's unheard of. The beautiful Ed Mervish Theatre, which it was recently redone for um, Harry Potter, which is playing there now. But back in 1989, it was actually redone for Phantom of the Opera specifically. Uh, the Pantages was completely rebuilt and restored to match kind of the set and everything. It's like my mom and dad saw Phantom in Toronto in 1989 with Colm Wilkinson and Rebecca Kane. They brought, bought the cassette tape and like we have like a poster that my dad bought my mom. It's, it's mine now. It is such a key, key part of the city's theater history. And yeah. I just I really wanted to kind of elaborate on that because you think of Phantom as like, oh, long running on the West End and on Broadway. But no, it's actually the longest running in Toronto, too. Well, you also can think of something like Rent, which has had worldwide success, except it flopped in Toronto. It didn't do very good in Toronto, and it closed not too long after it opened there, and the reviews weren't great. So for Phantom to like have 10 years running, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Yeah, like... If you're not familiar with the Toronto theater scene, and I'm not super familiar with what the Toronto theater scene was in the late 80s because I wasn't there. Mm. But, you know, we usually get shows that kind of come in and they stay for a couple months and they go or they're touring or they're visiting or when we do have something original, it stays for a couple months, maybe a year sometimes. Dear Evan Hansen and Come From Away just did longer stints. Come From Away, I think, did three years in Toronto. Yeah. Um, So we're starting to see that come back. But I thought it was really cool, especially as Canadians, to really kind of take a moment to really reiterate um, how huge Phantom was. Uh, And I think we can safely say theater in Toronto would not be 
as big as it is now had Phantom not had that much success. How cool is it that they actually like auctioned off show props and merchandise autographs? More shows should do that. I know there's probably different laws, but going back to Rent, I remember they threw out like so many pieces of the stage and they still do that to this day with shows. They don't always get packed up. A lot of it is considered trash um, and you're not allowed to take it. So, Well, I think what was unique about the Toronto production is the sense that like it was running on the West End. It was running on Broadway. So it really was kind of like a replica production. Like they need, yeah. they weren't flying in costumes and props from anywhere else. They had to remake everything. And then they really didn't need to like send it anywhere. I guess like they probably brought over costumes for like Rebecca and Calm because they had done the show before. Right. They probably just flew that over. But yeah, they probably had to remake a bunch of the stuff. So they, it was literally the after party. Like the after party for the show was at this hotel and audience members were invited because they literally were selling and auctioning off all this stuff for charity. It was like a big party and everything went to charity, which Amazing. is so incredible. So incredible. And here's a, an extra special spooky fun fact for you. Nev Campbell was in the original cast of Phantom in Toronto. And for those of you who don't recognize her name, she's Sydney in Scream. She's the main girl in Scream. Yes. <laughs> um, I think the last thing we kind of have to touch on while we are here in the late 90s, uh, before we move on to the 2000s, when we're mentioning the Toronto production, is that obviously, uh, if you're on theater social media, there has been a lot um, of talk about Garth Drabinsky's involvement with the show, the lawsuit involving him and the production. And Rebecca Kane has been incredibly vocal about her experiences working on the show. Um, we aren't going to touch too much on that here because we're not super well-versed and up to date with all of it, but we definitely say if you know that's that is something that you've heard of or want to look into, um, that information is out there. So in December 2004, The Phantom of the Opera graced the big screen as a movie musical, directed by Joel Schumacher and adapted by Schumacher and Andrew Lloyd Webber, starring Gerard Butler as The Phantom, Emmy Rossum as Christine, and Patrick Wilson as Rao. Despite its 2004 release date, the Phantom movie had been in the works for a long time. Warner Brothers actually purchased the film rights in 1989, leaving Lloyd Webber with total artistic control. Later in 89, Schumacher and Lloyd Webber wrote the screenplay, and Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman were set to return to the roles they had originated on stage. By July 1990, the movie had an almost $25 million budget and was set to film at Pinewood Studios. Obviously, the production was delayed for years due to various projects for Schumacher and Lloyd Webber's divorce. By the early 2000s, it was time to return to the project, and casting was underway. John Travolta and Katie Holmes were originally in the running for the leading roles of The Phantom and Christine. Then, Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway couldn't commit due to other projects. Gerard Butler took the role of The Phantom after four singing lessons. Sounds like it. And 16... Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm good i'm good and 16 year old emmy rossum was cast as christine rounding out the cast were patrick wilson as raul and minnie driver as carlotta who was dubbed vocally really yes she was minnie driver was dubbed by a professional okay. opera singer because no one who is not a professional opera singer can sing carlotta and right. survive vocally i don't think Okay, why did I think she was on the cast recording doing that 
Learn to be Lonely song. Isn't that her? Girl, I don't know. Uh, maybe not. Okay. So, a fun fact for fans of the stage musical, Ramin Karimloo was actually in the movie, appearing briefly as Gustave Daye, Christine's father. The film was shot from September 2003 to January 2004 on the studio's soundstage. The bottom half of the exterior of the opera house was constructed, but the top was done via CGI and scale models. The scale models by Cinesite also included the falling chandelier and the gorgeous Paris skyline was created by matte paintings. Many of the changes were made between the stage show and the movie, the ones affecting the main plot being placing the chandelier drop to be during Point of No Return instead of the All I Ask of You reprise, as well as additional flashbacks covering the Phantom's past, his introduction to Madame Jury, and the Opera House. There are also flashbacks to the initial opening scene with the auction throughout the film, unlike the one scene in the stage production. There are a lot more little changes, but we are only a short way through the history of this mega musical, so we'll move this along. The film was released in the United States on December 22nd, 2004 on a limited release. It opened 10th place for the weekend, grossing 6.5 million at the box office over five days. In January 2005, it made a wide release, grossing $51.2 million domestically and $107 million internationally. The film received positive reviews for Schumacher's direction, the cinematography, and Butler and Rossum's performances receiving praise. At the Academy Awards, Anthony Pratt and Celia Bobak were nominated for Best Art Direction, John Matheson for Best Cinematography, and Andrew Lloyd Webber and Charles Hart for Best Original Song for Learn to Be Lonely. There's that darn song. That dar- I always forget that that song's in yeah. it because it plays during the credits, right. and by the credits, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> On June 24th, 2006, Phantom, the Las Vegas Spectacular, opened at the Venetian in... Well, you guessed it, Las Vegas. The adapted production ran 95 minutes with no intermission and was directed and choreographed by Hal Prince and Gillian Lynn. The set was reimagined by David Rockwell, featuring updated technology and effects. Many changes were made to cut the show down to 95 minutes, with cuts made to either full scenes and songs or shortening the musical numbers. Some changes were taken from the 2004 film, for example, the placement of the chandelier crash. The show starred Brent Barrett and Anthony Crivello as the Phantom, Sierra Boggess and Elizabeth Loyacano as Christine, and Tim Martin Gleason as Rao. On September 2nd, 2012, the Las Vegas production closed after five years and almost 2,700 performances. Now, our next step along the Phantom timeline is a slight detour. It won't take long. But we can't talk about the history of this musical without mentioning its sequel, Love Never Dies. Andrew Lloyd Webber originally began working on the idea of a Phantom sequel back in the 1990s, but didn't finish working on the music until 2007. Love Never Dies is loosely adapted from Frederick Forsyth's 1999 novel The Phantom of Manhattan, which puts LaRue's characters in New York City in the 1880s. The musical, with music by Lloyd Webber, lyrics by Glenn Slater, and a book by Lloyd Webber, Ben Elton, Forsyth, and Slater, opened in London in February 2010. It follows Christine Daae, invited to New York for her American debut, is then invited to perform at Phantasma, a new attraction on Coney Island. She travels there with her husband Raoul and her son Gustave, unaware that it is really the Phantom who has contracted her performance. While Love Never Dies has been successful, it never truly reached uh, the level of success that Phantom of the Opera has. Could it have ever, like, 
I feel like that was just set up for failure to begin with. I mean, you can't really. It's okay. It's okay, it, but it's not good. It was. And, you know, I I don't know how to say it without sounding like a bitch. So I'm just going to say it. But I kind of. Go for it. I kind of feel like Love Never Dies was a money grab because of how successful Phantom was. And it just. It wasn't as good. It It just wasn't. And. And it opened with two of its biggest stars in the role, right? Yeah, it was Sierra I think it was and, and Sierra. Uh, Ramin. Yeah. So yeah. Well, in London, anyway. The I think right. Australia is different. There mm-hmm. is a filmed version of Love Never Dies. It's the Australian cast. I'd recommend watching it just because um, Anna O'Burn is beautiful yes. as Christine. But yeah. Um, otherwise, I'd say don't watch it. The Phantom of the Opera reached another milestone in 2011, celebrating its 25th anniversary. A staged concert production was performed and filmed live at Royal Albert Hall in London. This event was directed by Lawrence Connor with musical staging and choreography by Gillian Lynn and set design by Matt Kinley. And the costume design was by Maria Bajornsson. Starring in the show was Ramin Karamlu as the Phantom, Sierra Bogus as Christine, and Hadley Frazier as Raoul. The live performances on October 1st and 2nd had in-person audiences and were streamed around the world in movie theaters. In February 2012, the filmed performance was released on DVD and Blu-ray. It was aired on PBS in March 2012 as part of its Great Performances series. Also in March 2012, a new UK production by director Lawrence Connor launched a 25th anniversary tour of the UK and Ireland with John Owen Jones and Earl Carpenter alternating the role of the Phantom, Katie Hall as Christine, and Simon Bailey as Raoul. Jumping ahead a few years and many productions, the Phantom of the Opera embarked on a world tour on February 20th, 2019 in Manila, starring John Roxmouth as the Phantom, Megan Picerno as Christine, and Matt Lisi as Raoul. The world tour also visited Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, Tel Aviv, and Dubai that year. Performances in 2020 were set for Taiwan and South Korea. Of course, the tour faced challenges due to COVID-19. These were actually captured in a documentary released in 2021 called The Show Must Go On. In November 2019, it was announced that Phantom would once again tour the UK and Ireland. While the previous tour featured the 25th anniversary production, this time it would be an exact replica of the Broadway and West End productions. However, some adaptations were made to make the large set easier to tour, removing the angel statue centerpiece and scaling down the false proscenium. The tour ended abruptly on March 16, 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and by May it was announced that the tour would be closing permanently. On March 12, 2020, The Phantom of the Opera, like every other show on Broadway, closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Luckily, the show was re-able to open on October 22, 2021. Broadway reopened as the original production, with no changes being made, unlike the West End production. The West End production closed on March 16, 2020, along with the rest of the West End, but within the next month announced an extended closure in which Her Majesty's Theatre would be renovated and refurbished. By July, it was announced that the original production would be closing, and by October, it would feature a new staging based on the recent UK tour. In April 2021, the new UK cast was announced, including Killian Donnelly as The Phantom, Lucy St. Louis as Christine, and Reese Wilkinson as Raoul. When the production reopened on July 27, 2021, some significant changes had been made. 
One of the largest changes made was to the orchestra. The 27-piece orchestra, which was once the largest on the West End, was cut in half, now featuring 14 musicians. Another big change came to Maria Bjornsson's famous set, made by set designer Matt Kinley, which removed the angel statue and featured fewer gargoyles on the proscenium. These changes were partially due to the renovations made to the theater. There were also changes to the original staging made by Seth Schuyler Hine, and the choreography was revised by Chrissy Cartwright. Phantom of the Opera has been staged all over the world in countries including Argentina, Austria, Brazil, China, Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, Germany, Hungary, Japan, Mexico, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Panama, Poland, Romania, Russia, Serbia, Malta, Singapore, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, Turkey, and Thailand. And Thailand. The musical has even had cast recordings made of the London, Broadway, Canadian, Austrian, Dutch, German, Japanese, Swedish, Korean, Hungarian, Mexican, Polish, and Russian productions. Now, I haven't listened to all of them, but the Phantom of the Opera Canadian cast recording is the best cast recording of Phantom of the Opera there is. There's literally, there's not a better one, so I'll save you all a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) But on September 5th, 2022, Phantom of the Opera Global Edition was released. So this is an eight-disc collection featuring complete cast recordings in seven languages, including Korean from the 2009 recording, German from the 1990 recording, Polish from 2008, Mexican Spanish from 2000, Swedish from 1989, Japanese from 1988, and Hungarian from 2003. Disc 1 features a 15-track compilation which includes a new recording of the title song performed by the new West End cast Killian Donnelly and Lucy St. Louis at Her Majesty the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Now the most recent news for Phantom is a sad one. On September 16th, 2022, it was announced that the Broadway production will be closing on February 18th, 2023, after celebrating its 35th anniversary in January. The New York Times wrote that Phantom's closure was due to the fact that its ticket sales were not high enough to keep up with the show's running costs. On September 29th, the show posted a video to its social media pages where the Phantom notes that the production will be closing encourages audience members to get tickets, and that he has developed a fondness for New York City and shall not be far away. So what does that mean for the production? It seems only the opera ghost knows, and the rest of us will find out hopefully soon. I'm utterly devastated about that, but yeah, yeah, like Phantom is just such a staple, you know, it's it is and it has been for years and years. And I mean, part of You know, I think the reason that I'm emotional about it closing is because Phantom holds a special part um, in my heart for me. You know, it was the first professional musical I ever saw. My dad surprised me with the tickets. And that was back in 2007. I think I actually tell kind of the full story in our episode where we interviewed Megan Pacerno, who was playing Christine on Broadway. We got to interview her um, while the show was on pause for COVID. So the full story is there. I'll let you go listen to it. But um, the show's been part of my life for a really long time, and it's what got me into theater. So, you know, hearing that it's going to close is, is, is kind of a bummer. But um, I really don't think it's closing uh, based on what they've said. I don't believe it's actually going to close. 
I feel like I'll be kind of upset if that is the case. I'm going to be sad either way, but I'll be rather upset if this is kind of like a money grab for tickets because a lot of people have an emotional attachment to the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, if this is just a way for them to be like, hey, we're renovating the theater and it's going to reopen. You know, I did wonder about that because there was a lot of speculation with the London show. And of course, part of how those announcements were staggered, part of that, I think, was, of course, COVID. And people didn't know, like, if shows could come back or would come back. And if, you know, moving everything out to renovate the theater would mean a permanent closure. But you know, with the West End closure, Cameron McIntosh was like, yeah, it's closing. And then he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's closing, yeah. but like just to renovate the theater. And like, so the story changed a couple times and it ended up coming back. But it truly was the end of um, the original production in its original state at Her Majesty's yeah. Theater. But the show in some form was still going on to to um, to perform there. Uh, part of me wonders if it'll be closing at the Majestic Theater because it will be renovated and renamed I the Hal so. Prince Theater. And uh, then a new production of Phantom, just with those kind of modernizations, I guess, for cost, would reopen. Yeah, and you know what? Having seen both versions of the show a few times, I kind of do prefer the touring production, the one that I believe would go in there. I thought it was very uh, cool. It still stayed true to what Phantom is and what it looks like. Um, yeah, I really did like, th I loved the staircase that they have for the Phantom song. I don't know. I think it could be cool. I think it's the, I think we need to update these older productions sometimes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, you know, I kind of feel this, I I feel like the same way, but I think ultimately kind of the way I feel is that Maria Bjornsson created something so incredible in how she designed this show. That is 35 years worth of theater history is sitting in the majestic. And I don't know, I have always wanted to see it on that stage to see it done that way. Um, hopefully I'll get to, but um, if I don't, as long as the show is still living and breathing in some other capacity, I'm I'm happy with that. But I truly think it is one of the um, most beautiful shows. A lot of discrepancies about, like, it's an old story and the Phantom is kind of a predator and Christine's a victim. Um, again, check out our episode with Megan Pacerno where we talk about it as Christine's survivor yes. story. It's Christine's story, not the Phantom's. And if they renovate it, Christine needs to have the final bow in the new version. Yeah, you know what? The way I see it is... We could either have a show close, and that would be devastating because it is a New York City staple, or we could have it reopen with some, you know, new revised elements. And I think that's the happier outcome in this situation. Although, yeah, it is sad to lose that original set and uh, whatever else they would change with it if this is the outcome. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen, but. That's the end of our episode. We finally did The Phantom of the Opera. I think this is our curtain. longest show history it episode ever. Like, we just covered about 36, 37 years <laughs> of show history of Phantom. I need so to go take a nap now. I have to take a pee break. <laughs> um, <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. Uh, I think we still have one more. We do. Spooky season episode coming your way. Yeah. Um, our Halloween so episode. 
It'll be Halloween on Halloween. Episode. Yeah. On Halloween. Yay. So come celebrate Halloween with us at Breaking the Curtain. We'll have one more episode coming your way. And drop us a comment or a message on Instagram talking about Phantom's closing and yeah. uh, you know what you're thinking about it. Uh, and you know, your phantom love story, because I think we all have we all have a, a story of first experiencing this wonderful musical. So hit us up with that. Mine just happened to be the 80s music videos. Oh, some of us have good stories. I want to hear them. <laughs> <laughs> As always, I'm Chris. I'm Jocelyn. Together we are Breaking, breaking the, the curtain, curtain. And we will see you all very soon. We will. Bye. Well, we won't see you, but you'll hear us. You'll hear us. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.